0: remember me talking about Venice Cocktail Week earlier this year? If you're an avid fan of Lush Life, you might recall I was there for the launch of what has become one of my favorite weeks of the year. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. The city of Venice has always had a special place in my heart. The introduction of a week celebrating Venice's drinking establishments was genius. And I am so thankful to Paolo Mancarelli and Bianca Grisalia to include me again this year for the second annual edition of Venice Cocktail Week, which took place from September 25th to October 2nd, 2022. In attendance were so many of my friends and former Lush Life guests. Facundo Gachegos, Giorgio Barjani, Daniel Jones, and Martin Hoydeck. Plus, I met even more greats, including Giulia Cucurullo, Emanuele Balestra, Patrick Pizzolesi, and the maestro himself, Salvatore Calabrese, who made his signature breakfast martini in a gondola. In this episode, I'm taking you with me back to Venice to meet a few of the many participants who make cocktail week happen. Up first is Bianca Grizzalia, the PR and Communications Director of Venice Cocktail Week, to update us on some of the changes from last year to this. Then we head to Cafe Florian for a bit of coffee talk with Cristiana Revolta. Then off to the San Clemente Palace Hotel bar where perfume and gin collide with Paul Rebanser. Then finally, we end at the Experimental to discuss how art and cocktails are match made in heaven with Dan Nevsky. Now let's begin with Bianca. So, it's great to have you back on the show, Bianca, this year. So why don't you tell everyone who might not have listened to last year's podcast who you are, what you do, and how you're involved with Venice Cocktail Week.
1: Hi, Susan. And thank you, I'm Bianca Grisolia, one of the organizers of Venice Cocktail Week and Florence Cocktail Week, together with uh, Paolo Milcarelli, that is the founder of both events and uh, the super energetic organizer. (laughs) And we are now organizing the third edition of Venice for for next year. We just finished the second edition uh, now in uh, end of September. And we are about to launch one new surprise that I will tell you later about it. And the seventh edition of Florence Cocktail Week in uh, in April this year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, how exciting. <laughs> we love surprises. Now, let's talk about the second Venice Cocktail Week, um, because everyone can listen to the mm-hmm. podcast about the first one, because we already have a podcast about that that we did last year. Um, now, you changed the time of year that you did it. The first one was in December, and this one that just passed was in September and October. Uh, why did you decide to change it, and and you know what benefit did you see from changing it?
1: Yeah, so as you said, we we did the first one in December last year, 2022. So it was a difficult time because, as we know, we came all of us we came from a from a difficult period. So we decided to do it in December because it was a quiet moment for Venice, for the city, for the bars. So we had a, we had a chance to get to know much, much better the bartenders, much, much better the community. We had the chance to add a full attention of the city and to understand also how the dynamics in bikes works and what we could do, what we could do better, what we could change. Uh, December was great. You, you were there with us. It was a, it was amazing. It was a really interesting edition, a winter edition that we never done it before. Uh, in Florence, we only done it in, uh, in spring. So uh, a cold edition was always uh, a news for us, uh, and we liked it very much. But this year we decided to move mm, to move it a little bit to anticipate it in September, because we wanted to uh, use the warmer, to have a warmer weather uh, during the, the cocktail week and especially to involve the city much, much more. So in September, most of the terraces, most of the rooftops were still open. It was a warmer temperature. There were more people around the city, so the idea was to have fun, warm weather, but also more people—not just from the industry, but from from the city itself, so tourists and uh, and Venetians to enjoy the the cocktail week. As you know, like our format as a cocktail week is um it, is a mixed format, so it's not just for uh, industry and for for us and for people that already know cocktails and brands. But it's especially for the curious people. So, like, the, the, for the city itself. So, that was the main, uh, main idea why we, main reason why we moved back to, to September.
0: Did you find that it was a success that people who aren't in the cocktail industry, you know, tourists were enjoying these sessions and were coming along? We
1: had a really good feedback from the bars. So, the bars told us that there were many, many people asking. Uh, regarding the cocktail week, because they they saw the the menu, they saw the the logo around, they saw our book that we leave in every in every bar, so they were asking, they were curious, and they were trying to understand what's what's going on. So we actually had a really good feedback about that, and we we hope that for the next edition we're gonna have more and more people and uh, and the city even more involved.
0: And did you work with any uh, different bars or sponsors that? Uh... You found you know worked really well this time.
1: Uh, actually, all of them, all of them. We have to say we we, we had this conversation also about the first edition, and I want to confirm that that the bar in Venice are very involved, and they're very active. So they like to participate, and they're very excited about the project. So that of course is one one of the main uh, <laughs> main ingredients for a successful cocktail week that is made by the bartenders and the, the bars. To the waste. we're still at the beginning of this adventure we're still trying to understand the the city fully and what we can do to to add this uh, <laughs> extra value to to the offers that the city of Venice has to give
0: so were there any things that, that you did this year that were different from last year that you thought worked really really well
1: yes yeah, so like every year like we do with Sorens in Florence and Venice as well we try to uh, uh, include and to put in the, pr- in the program, in the calendar, also some cultural initiative and some events, not just guest So, for example, this year we, we organized a few, uh, a few tours around the city. One was the uh, historic cafe tour to show all the historic places and, uh, the, the places that made the, the mixology tradition in Venice. Another one was a garden tour, so it was very interesting to go and uh, with an expert gardening and uh, and trying to understand also the different flavors and uh, and herbs that can be added in a in a cocktail around uh, like autotone from uh, from Venice, so that they grow in uh, in Venice. Um, another very fun activity that you were there as well uh, was the Gentonica Scampi in the in the fish market organized by by Ginarte. It was very interesting to to see the market and see uh, such a cultural important place for uh, the city in a different way. So in a in a cocktail perspective, let's say.
0: I know. I never thought that eating raw shrimp and a gin and tonic. Number one, that I would be eating raw shrimp and gin and tonic <laughs> anywhere, but doing it in Venice and it tasting
1: so good. Yes. We had a trial. I don't know if you remember. We had a trial last year, and we loved it. People loved it so much that this year we had to put it in the calendar in the program and it was a uh, was a big part of our of our events. Uh,
0: no, I didn't have it last year. Darn. Well, well, I'm glad I had it this year. It was really fun. Now, were there any uh, you know events that were super fabulous that you just you know thought made made Venice Cocktail Week special?
1: Yeah, opening party for sure is uh, our our signature event. Every year we do an opening party. This year, as last year, we did it in Amman, uh, Amman, Venice. And was probably one of the best events. Like, it kind of opened the week. Everyone was there. The, the city was there. The industry was there. We were there. All the guests were there. So that was actually a great start. And I think it helped, helped us also to to start together, this, uh, this adventure. Uh, so the opening was great. Then this year we had many, many national, international guests, how uh, not to mention Salvatore Calabrese. They came uh, with uh, Patrick Pistolese, did a martini cocktail, his breakfast martini in a Mount Venice together with Antonio, uh, the, the bar manager of Oman. And then he, he went on a gondola and he did a martini on yeah. gondola. <laughs> it was such a fun moment as well. I know.
0: It's incredible. Twenty-five years. twenty five years, Twenty-six years ago, they didn't have a breakfast martini. Yes. We were so lucky. One and, of the best. And now
1: we make it an Laguna.
0: <laughs> yes. Only in Venice, of course. Only, Only in Venice.
1: Venice. And Venice. of course,
0: you know, the, the final party, I guess it wasn't technically a final party, but one of the last parties mm-hmm. was with maybe Sammy, my friend and fellow Lush Lifer, Martin Hoidek who came over from Australia. T- and I don't think the Amman has ever seen such a party. No, it was so no, much fun. no, no.
1: That was such a great a great mm-hmm. occasion for everyone because it's, it's a great opportunity also for uh, for the bartender in Venice to get to know outside, like mm-hmm. what what's happening outside and uh, uh, how they work outside of Venice. So I think this is the greatest opportunity that they can have.
0: And what was fun about that was really anyone can come. I brought a few Venetian friends And anyone could have come. And they really just brought so much Australia to um, the Amman that night with singing and joking around. It was really, it was really such a fun event. (laughs) So now tell me, you said there was going to be a surprise. Are you allowed to tell what the surprise is? Yes.
1: we are organizing a new, we're putting ourselves in a new adventure. Okay,
0: We love new adventures. It's
1: a little one this time. We are launching a new cocktail weekend this time. So just a weekend uh, in December, very close, next month from 16th to 18th of December. And it's going to happen in on the mountain. So it's going to be a snow, oh, snowy season, <laughs> snowy edition in Cortina d'Ampezzo. There is a city on, uh, on the mountain, not too far from Venice. It's going to be a weekend, so focus mainly on, uh, on events. Uh, after ski and on, uh, on activity on the snow, uh, inside the program. So we have less events, uh, less brands participating. We want to keep it small because it is, the city also is, uh, is very small and is developing, uh, in terms of bar scene. And we all, we're organizing one of the biggest surprises, we're organizing a, a ski competition. On the 18th, so everyone is more than welcome to participate. Of course it's going to be like joyful and playful, nothing. <laughs> nothing too competitive. A nice way to to close the weekend: uh, I think. One of
0: my favorite cocktails. if you can call it a cocktail is hot chocolate and creme de menthe. Ah. Uh on a ski on a: uh, Apre ski. Oh, it just brings to mind you know mold wine, glue vine, hot chocolate. Oh, I so wish I could come.
1: And it's going to be, there's going to be many cocktails there. I'm in sure. Mall.
0: I'm sure. I'm so <laughs> sad to miss it. I will be home with my family. But if anything changes, you know, I will be there.
1: Yeah. And next one, we will try as Venice. We try this one. We see our goes, And then let's see if we continue next year. So Cortina Cocktail Weekend.
0: Well. As soon as we know the dates for the next Venice Cocktail Week, we will spread the word. Until then, thank you so much. And we will see you, I guess, not not in Cortina, but in Florence, which is happening in April. April 17th to 23rd, Florence Cocktail Week. So thank you so much, Bianca, for being here. And um, I will see you soon. See you soon. Bianca mentioned the wonderful tour of the Grand Cafés. One of the most luxurious things you can do in Venice is spend your morning lounging over a macchiato at the historic Café Florian, listening to the orchestra play songs that will bring tears to your eyes. I sat down with Cristiana Rivolta, the head of sales and marketing for Florian, to discover a little more about the oldest
2: café in Europe. Well, Café Florian is the oldest coffee I was in Italy and maybe in Europe as well. We opened in 1720, and we are still in activities, okay? So we have more than 300 years, okay? You are so old. Yes. Of course, the Café Floriano at the beginning was just one of the many coffee houses in the city of Venice, but thanks to the owner, whose name was Floriano Francesconi, that's why the name Floriano which is the dialect name of you not know, the dialect form this man was quite a smart man because knowing that there were so many coffee houses in venice he tried to start a different kind of coffee house inviting from the beginning also men of letters politicians and so on that's why from the beginning Café Florian started to welcome so many people of so many different classes. Nowadays, Florian is one of the iconic places in the city of Venice, not only because it is in St. Square, which is the heart of the city, but also because it is quite an institution because it is so old. In uh, 2020. We also had a stamp dedicated to these redundant years of Café Florian, and uh, we still, of course, we still have it, and it, it is still in use. so if- even if you would like to send a postcard or a letter or whatever, you can use the Café Florian stamp to send it. I had no idea. Where can you buy them? Uh, to the post offices. So you can ask specifically for a Café Florian yes, stamp? Yes, yes. There's a post office here near St. Mark's Square. you just go there and ask for, for a stamp of Café Florian. Okay, fabulous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it represents one of the entrances of Café Florian. So it's also quite easy to see. I mean, there's the name and so on. So it's, uh, it's fun. But it was an honor for us because not so many activities have a stamp from the Italian Ministry of Economics. So nowadays, Café Florian is still famous. It's still a place where many people come, both famous and not famous. And what we try to do is to give Florian experience. It means that you don't come here just to sip a coffee, but you come here to have a real break, to relax, and to Listen to the music because of course we have an orchestra on our terrace outside, but also to live and breathe the atmospheres of the times past. Because what you see now it's not what Lika was in 1720, because the last restoration was made in the middle of the nineteenth century. So it's dated eighteen fifty six. From eighteen fifty six till eighteen fifty nine. But um what you have is dated more than two centuries ago. So, so you have the golden leaf of the boiseries, the velvets, boots, the pavements, everything is still under the supervision of the Italian Ministry of Culture. So we are really an historic. Place. And we have two, and we want to maintain this kind of status in order to grant really a unique experience to all our customers. Fabulous. Since we're talking about cocktails. Okay. Uh,
0: maybe you can tell me some of the cocktails or the drinks, even beverages, non-alcoholic, alcoholic, that are really the most famous here or the most popular.
2: Let's stick to alcohol. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: always happy. We are. <laughs> like not
2: only in Venice, but also in the Venice region, alcohol is quite the, the best means to make acquaintances, to become friends with someone and to have a break with your friends. Okay. Most of all, Venice is a place where there are no cars, no cars, no motorbikes, no cycles, nothing. You just have to take the water buses that goes along the canals. Or just use your feet. It means that you daily meet people, people that you already know, or new people, new acquaintances. And just going around on foot gives you the chance to stop by some coffee houses or restaurants and so on and have a break with these people, old and new acquaintances. Um, maybe so in Venice quite famous cocktails should be spritz and Bellini. Even if spritz is not quite a cocktail, it's an aperitif. <laughs> okay. So it was basically invented by the Austrians during their time in Venice. And as Austrians apparently don't like alcohol or cannot afford to drink something quite strong, they decided to Put a little bit of water or soda into the white wine. So the first spritz was water and white wine. Venetians, instead, can afford alcohol. And so they decided to put a little bit more of alcohol into the wine. So the current spritz is a liquor. And in Venice, the real and the original or traditional liquor used to make the spritz is select, and then you have prosecco and soda. Here at Café Foriani you can drink our special spritz, which is made with another kind of liquor, a little bit stronger than the select, which is called uh, aperitivo rosso or red aperitif. That's why our spritz is quite red in the color. Another cocktail is the Bellini. I think everybody knows that it was invented by um, Cipriani. So, which is quite, so the Aries bar is quite famous yeah. for that. And uh, here at Cafe Florian, you can drink the Bellini, of course. But as Bellini is made with peach and the prosecco, sparkling wine, and the peach is a fruit that is usually available in summer, we decided to decline every season according to one of the fruits that can be eaten during that season. So we have bellini in summer, but now that we are going to the autumn, we will have the Tintoretto with Prosecco and pomegranates, and then we are going to have mandarin and Prosecco, and then strawberries and Prosecco in spring. So according to every season, we have a different kind of cocktails, and we call them, according to it, Many famous painters, Italian and Venetian painters, of course, such they are, we decline according to the season we are in. And
0: how about, because you're so well known for coffee, sitting outside, having a cappuccino, do you ever make any cocktails with the coffee?
2: Yes, we have. Well, we have our special coffee blend, which is made expressly for Café Florian. So we have just one coffee blend and we decided to instead of many, I mean, coffee blends, even if we are a coffee house. And we decided to decline this coffee blend into different, uh, let's say, cocktails or beverages. So one that I like very much is the Caffè dell'Imperatore, which is the coffee of the Emperor, which is made with coffee, uh, milk cream, and Zabaglione liquor. So you see a champagne glass. Divided into three colors, so uh, at the bottom you have the coffee, then you have the zabaglione liquor, so you have brown and then yellow, and on top, the milk cream, which is white. So it's a little bit of alcohol to corroborate your body because the zabaglione is made with eggs, and then you have also coffee, so it's quite energizing. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds delicious. I'll have to try that the next time I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Starting from October, November, yes. Mm. You can Mm. drink it.
0: Fantastic. Now we head off to the Clemente Bar at the San Clemente Palace Kempinski Hotel, which sits on its very own island, about a 15-minute boat ride from St. Mark's Square. This year, the brilliant Merchant of Venice perfumes and innovative Zouplune distillery created some otherworldly gins. Paul Robanser from Zoo Plune was on hand to tell me a little bit about the origins of this collaboration. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how what the
3: distillery is, how yes. it started,
0: and a little just a little history? Okay,
3: so our distillery was founded by my father, Florian Rabanser, 25 years ago. Um, he before was a chef in a famous hotel, so he already started experimenting a lot with different botanicals, different types of food. And so his passion started to become bigger and bigger. So he decided to quit his job and focus only on distilling. And um, now I'm 23 years old. From when I'm a child, i am always been in the distillery. I made a school for winery. Now I'm studying industrial chemistry in Bologna. And after my studies, I want to work there full time. But at the end, I'm already doing that. And yes, our distillery, how I told you, started 25 years ago. We started with some grappas. Grappa, it's always a very traditional Italian product. So we made different varieties of these grappas with the different wine varieties we have also in South Tyrol, but a lot also from Northern Italy, where we get the wine grapes, we work on them and then distill it. From the grappas, we started also later of making some different fruit distillates. Always local fruits that we have, where we work directly with the farmers in our region, that's very important for us to get the highest quality that we can get. So it's important for us to know the farmers. So when they prune, when they harvest, for us it's important that the fruit, it's coming directly to us and it's not in the transport, in the logistic area for one week. So and that's a very important step for us to achieve this high quality in our product. Then later we started making the first Italian rum. It's a rum made from melassa that we buy from Nicaragua. It's something totally crazy. If you say to somebody, we are making a rum in the Dolomites in around 1000 meters of altitude, like in the center of the mountains where it's snowing, you make rum. And so it was a very crazy product also for us, something totally new, a new experience. And I have to say maybe the first went not so good, the first tries, but we kept working on it. And after we put it on the market, we won also in Vienna, the gold medal. And so we had also the confirmation that our products has the quality we wanted to achieve. Maybe something to say about the rum more, it's... um it's aged in wood barrels, oak barrels that we get from Spain. There was the sherry wine inside, Pedro Jimenez. So already there, we have a very high quality of barrels. And we had a lot of success with this run. And so with this period, I would also say um, the more experimental part in our distillery started. We started to focus also on a new product. First, we wanted to make our Alpine bitter, so we worked with a lot of different botanicals we have in the Dolomites. We worked also with the pharmacy in our place to get all these botanicals and working and working on it, we decided, okay, we don't make a bitter, but we make a gin. And so our Dolomites gin, doll gin was made. Something to say, it was the first Italian gin. It's like 15 years ago. And so before this big gin hype started, we had our gin. And it's a very classic gin, also a London dry gin. And we won with this. We got an award in London, the silver medal best in class. So there was no gold medal in this year. So to say it was the best product in this year. Later, we also won some medals in Vienna and also got Gambero Rosso told a few times that it's one of the best Italian gins. So we had a lot of success with this doll Gin. And so we entered a bit in this gin world. And I remember my father in this area, it was, us it was also hard to make a gin because there were these five traditional classic gin, but nobody knew exactly how to make a gin here in the Dolomites in Italy. And so we started to distill every botanical um, singular. And later after the distillation, we put them together. So I remember my father, I came home and he had this whole table full of small bottles with the different botanicals in it and started to put one and the other together till we had our received and we made this gin. After it, we made a second gin was called the yellow gin made with lemons from Limone del Garda. It's a very famous place on the Garda lake that it's famous for its lemons. And so we made this gin. It's very acidic gin, a summer gin, a young product, I would say. And this year we also won at the Merano Wine Festival, the Platin Award. So it was again, the best gin of this event. We made some other gins. Um, in total, we make seven different gins now. And uh, maybe one of the craziest was made with three types of seagrass, some botanicals here from the Laguna of Venezia. And it gets filtered over the oysters. We call it the salt gin because it's very salty, It's very mineralic because of the filtration over the oyster. And it's a so crazy product that we also limited it on 500 bottles a year. And yes, the people who want to have with them, um, they they write us already mails two years before they come out because the amount is, we have this 500 bottles and that's it.
0: Why did you decide? I mean, since we're in Venice, I might as well. Yes. You live in the Dolomites. Why did you decide to because look for botanicals in the lagoon of Venice?
3: Yes, because um, we started with this dolgin, searching all the botanicals we have in the Dolomites, and later we started go outside of the Dolomites. And now we are also searching, I would say, the best ingredients we can get all over the world, bring it back to us in the Dolomites, where we can give our touch and later make a product of it.
0: Can you tell me some of the botanicals that you use from the dolomite
2: that might be from particular? The,
3: um, from the dolomites that's particular, I would say, in the dolgin, also the elderflower. We have obviously the, the juniper that we take directly from dolomites. So it's not a juniper grown in Tuscany or maybe in Europe, in the northern part of Europe. So it's something directly that we can get. Where we know, where we know the quality is high, we kept them again with the pharmacy to always are sure that we have the quietest quality as possible. And yes, the botanicals we have are, I would say typical botanicals from the Dolomites. Yes, it's all. I don't know them in English. do you don't
1: <laughs> see them then
3: in, the, in, in Italian? In Italian, I can say in German, it's Schafgarbe. Maybe it's something very special that it's Used um like the old farmers in our town use them to make a tea in winter when you have problems when you're feeling sick you make this tea and, and it will help you and so it's also a very typical stuff that we put it in in a modern product to say and also the gentian roots that I'm, is something you
0: know I was wondering if you were going to say gentian yeah <laughs> because when you said that you were thinking of making some kind of not liqueur but some yes. kind of other. A spirit, a it that I'm thinking immediately, Gentian.
3: Yes, it's something very typical. But yeah. for me, it's a very elegant product also because it's, it's yes, it's bitter, but it's so elegant. And if you distill it nicely, it can be a very round, soft product also and very clean. And that's something that is very important for us in all of our products to have always a very clean taste, a very clean aroma. If we say about like a Williams pier. To have this directly, this pure aroma and that's it, no sugar, nothing inside, just a pure distillate and something clean. Mm-hmm. And that's very important. And maybe to come back to the experimental part that I was right. speaking before. Um, last year, we started working together with Marco Vidal for a new line of products where we worked together. He made the perfumes, which is him, his part to say, and we made the gins together. And we searched some key botanicals, some key ingredients, which are inside the perfume and inside our products. The idea started because we always wanted to make a drinkable perfume because we as a distiller, we work with the aroma we have in the mouth. And Marco Vidal, who is a master in his job, is working with the nose. And to combine both of it, we said we call it the drinkable perfume. And so this line started where we have one, the Rosa Moceniga, which is a very famous rose here from Venice, very hard to find. And we were able to get an essence of this rose and we made a gin with 30 botanicals around this rose. Then the second one is the blue tea, where we got this blue tea, this flower from the Thailandese culture and made a gin also with oriental botanicals to remember that Venice. Travelled already all over the world, brought back the botanicals to Italy and sold it here. To remember also a bit the history of Venice. And very cool, this product, Um the color is totally dark blue that comes from this blue tea. So it's a natural color. It's not something chemically done. And if you make a gin tonic, the color with the acidity of the tonic changes and becomes um, pink. And that's very cool. So you make yeah. a bit of magic uh-huh. if you're preparing a gin tonic in front of your clients. You give something special to them. And that's the latest product. We put it on the market. We are working on something totally new also. I would say a distillate on, um, we call it an underground spirit. The idea is like this to work with all ingredients that grow under the earth because of that underground spirit. Mm -hmm. And also that it's something totally new. It will not be a gin. It will not be a fruit distillate. It's something totally new in his own category and something special.
0: <laughs> Are you allowed to tell what one of those ingredients is yet? Uh,
3: it's a bit hard. We have also some vegetables inside, okay. like carrots, some okay. roots again, but it will be something totally crazy, something new.
0: It sounds amazing. It <laughs> sounds great. So you do. So how many gins? And so you've done. And so one rum. How many grappa?
3: We have grappa. We have 10 different types. Uh huh. We have also around 10 different fruit distillates. We made now, yes, five different Uh gins. We have two different drums and yes, and new products are coming. The ideas are a lot. (laughs) The problem is we don't have enough time to develop all of our ideas, but we are working on it and trying to put uh, every year a new product on the market to make something special, like really something exclusive, new, not The typical thing you can get everywhere.
0: Well, I can't wait to try it. So let's go try it. Let's
3: go and we try them. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Our last guest today is the great Dan Nevsky, AKA the indie bartender. He was in Venice to lead a session of how art and cocktails collide. I grabbed him for a few minutes to have him explain exactly how this works.
4: My name is Dan Nevsky. I am the indie bartender. And I'm here as my role as the global brand bartender for Liz Gin, where I was talking about how art meets cocktails.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about your, your session? And For sure. great.
4: I was trying to find the magical sort of space between guests and bartenders, where I believe the magic happens, and how we can use things like art and different methods of creativity to bridge that gap between the things that we know as professionals versus the things that they understand as our guests. Because sometimes when we know so much as we do, we don't know that they don't know and uh, we get a little bit nerdy. And so I'm using the method uh, of of different creativity. That's the Remy Savage method, the out-of-the-box method, but specifically different art from surrealism and Martin Miller's gin as a way to bridge that gap. Just showing examples to make people happy.
0: Can you give us an example of For sure. maybe a piece of art that you've chosen and a cocktail that you've created from it?
4: For sure. So in this case, uh, I used a piece of art called the Eye of Silence, which is a, a, from a surrealist painter called Hans Arp, um, who was alive many, many, many years ago and have lived through many, many weird things. And nevertheless, uh, one of the things that he specifically pioneered was called, I think it's called vo- vo- Voltage. No, no, it's basically the idea is very simple. You take a textured piece of something like a brick wall. You put paper on it and use a pencil to strain that texture onto the onto the paper now somebody discovered that, that now nowadays you have that in school everywhere so I was like cool that's that was a discovery in its own time how do we take that and translate it into cocktails and so in this case I used a combination of contrasts between martin Miller's gin as well as coffee pineapple passion fruit tomato and lime as well as pumpkin to make a long sort of cocktail but um Inspired by his textural analysis, the drink that was then served in a tiki mug that has been completely dusted with Cajun spicing on the outside, creating a very visual texture that is also not possibly the easiest thing to hold in your hand because it gets everywhere, but it is a beautiful idea.
0: Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. No worries. And where can everyone find you?
4: I exist only on the internet. (laughs) Like everyone else. We have uh, our online persona. We have our real life persona. But I live in Barcelona. Um, and, uh, I, when I'm not traveling, uh, talking about silly things like art and cocktails, I'm there walking my dog. So if anybody wants to reach out, I'm, I'll be happily be their Barcelona the guide.
0: And how can they reach out to you?
4: Instagram. I'm the cocktail man on Instagram and uh, I answer every single Instagram message ever, which much to the disdain of my wife and my personal time, uh, cause I can answer up to 150 messages a day, but I will guarantee to answer a message. So don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions about art, cocktails. And all Barcelona. All right, thanks. No worries.
0: I have to give a big thank you to everyone who participated in today's episode. But don't think that's it. There'll be many more guests I met in Venice on the program throughout this year and next. So check back in for more of Venice Cocktail Week. I thought it'd be fun to have one of the Venice Cocktail Week cocktails as our cocktail of the week. Our Cocktail of the Week comes straight from Café Florian. Head bartender Mauro Varignolo and Michele Bronzine called it the Red Sighs. And all the ingredients come directly from Venice. This is what they had to say about the cocktail. When Venice was the Serenissima, for centuries it had a monopoly on the trade of spices, importing them from the East to sell in Europe. Spices are the undisputed protagonists of this cocktail. So add all of the following ingredients to a shaker. 60 mils of Venetian Gin De Suspiri, 20 mils of Select, and an infusion of tea Florian Venezia 1720, which is made with cinnamon, cloves, nutmeg, and a black orange Pico tea from Sri Lanka. But if you don't have it, you can use chai tea. So add ice, and then shake, shake, shake. Then strain it into a martini glass, garnish it with an orange peel, and say, chin, chin. You'll find this recipe, more Venetian cocktail recipes, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find some of the ingredients in our shop. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. It's my favorite holiday. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love and tell them how much you love them. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leads me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Next week, we're going to Paris to drink 52 martinis. Until that time, bottoms up.